Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com, where, among other things, we publish in-depth and totally honest reviews of outdoor sports equipment. In this episode, we discuss some of Patagonia's recent social and environmental initiatives. We talk to Mark Little, the product line director for men's sportswear and surf apparel at Patagonia, and Tessa Byers, Patagonia's communications manager, jumps into the conversation for a bit too. We get into the notion of fair trade, a term that gets thrown around a lot, but many of us don't have a concrete sense of what that actually means. We also discuss Patagonia founder Yvonne Chouinard's current role in Patagonia's new initiatives, and we get into some of the specific details of Patagonia's recent denim initiative. Is this just some nice-sounding greenwashing, or are there real environmental improvements to the way Patagonia is doing denim? It's a good conversation, and one that might even lead you to do some things a bit differently in the new year. This episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by Alaska Airlines. Alaska Airlines is now offering seasonal flights between Seattle and Steamboat Springs, as well as flights to Sun Valley from Seattle and LAX. One more thing, when you fly Alaska Airlines to places like Alaska Resort, Big Sky, or Crested Butte, just present your boarding pass and you get to ski for free. Go to alaskaair.com forward slash ski to check out the specific terms and conditions. So we're here today in Ventura, California at Patagonia headquarters, and I'm talking with Mark Little and... I'm actually just going to have Mark um, talk a bit about who he is and what he is doing here at Patagonia these days. Hi, Mark. Hello. So uh, I am the product line director for the men's sportswear and surf apparel side of the business here at Patagonia. And you've been here for? I've been here um, just about four years, come this uh, January 2016, um, working you know exclusively on the sportswear line. So. And then... We're interested today in talking a bit more about, um, I think we can assume as a given to the people listening to this that Patagonia has this nice reputation for its environmental and social concerns and projects, and I wanted to unpack some of that a bit um, with you. Um, And so when you say that you're the director of apparel, focus on product lines and apparel, now, if we start moving into that angle of some of those environmental initiatives, concerns, objectives, um, considerations, how does that factor into your day-to-day? Um, what does that look like for you? Um, so, um, you know, in, in the day-to-day, we're always trying to kind of um, align with our, you know, I was spoke, speaking of this off tape, but um, our, our core value and our mission statement. So um, every day we approach product line building um, 
and creation through building the best product, causing the least amount of harm, and then using that to influence others in the environmental crisis. So um, that's something that we're we're all very vested in here as an organization, no matter what uh, group you speak to, but specifically in product. Um, you know, we're always kind of we're always kind of starting with those big three, and that resonates throughout. So, um, building the best products always been a given for us through our quality standards, the fabrics um, that we select, the construction, all those sorts of things, the mills and the factories we do production in. But then, causing the least amount of harm was something that. When I arrived here at the company four years ago, we were doing, um, you know, and have been storied in it with, you know, our move to exclusively organic cotton years ago, recycled polyesters back in the 90s, our use of hemp, um, just to name a few examples, we have many, many more. But when I came here, um, really focused with my senior director on how we could even move the needle more. Um, so a few springs ago, we actually drew a line in the sand and decided that we weren't going to offer anything within the sportswear line that didn't have some sort of e-story um, behind it, which meant a pretty big overhaul of fabrics um, and supply chains or the attempt of supply chains to work exclusively with mills that could get us into um, the materials we wanted to, to do. Um, and that was kind of the start of it. Like, it was pretty generic. Like, mm-hmm. let's convert. You know, organic cotton was already given across our natural lines. But where we were using synthetic or synthetic blends, how do we get those into uh, recycled or reclaimed um, type quantities without compromising quality? And I think that's where the biggest challenge that a lot of people don't really understand. It's not just cut and dry to go from poly to recycled poly or even more so nylon to recycled nylon. Um, you can have a quality degradation in, in that switch. So for us to get into exactly the same standard of material that's going to perform uh, to the to our quality expectation um, sometimes can be a multi-season development to get there. Sometimes we don't ever get there and we have to kind of go to a plan B or a new material option there. So um, so that was kind of the first, first step in it. And then along the way, um, we're really starting to explore textile innovation as well. So how we're dyeing things and coloring things and how much energy and water we are using, which kind of, you know, started to foreshadow ultimately where we landed on in denim and, and, and kind of that process we applied to getting into the denim business. Mm-hmm. So speaking of denim, um, this is a new a newer initiative of Patagonia's. When when would we say that this, if we're calling it the denim, denim initiative, is kind of went public pretty recently? Oh. Yeah, um, the, the the new the new denim line between men's and women launched um, this past uh, July, mid July is when it started to kind of hit the stores. Um, here, um, it, it was a two and a half year project in the making. Um, we launched it internally to our sales, our sales force at our sales meeting a year ago this past October. Um, so that's when it was kind of essentially ready to to present outside of just the product team. Um, and then um, you know, short shortly thereafter, then you know, our 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 sales force was out kind of partnering up with our dealer base, showing them the lineup. Of not only jeans but the entire fall 15 line um, and that was one of the key initiatives within there so and going back to what you were just saying when you were looking at manufacturing processes and looking about dye processes and the rest in thinking about and and I said this to Mark um, just before we started talking here that when I saw that Patagonia was doing this denim initiative my sort of immediate thought 
I was sort of taken aback, and I also kind of did this thing like denim. Like, who cares about denim? Like, we all wear it, and it doesn't matter. It's just this thing that's kind of invisible. And that probably is biased because we're sitting at Blister thinking a lot about really expensive technical outerwear. And then the more I started thinking about this move into denim, comes back to, and guess what? We all wear it all the time, own multiple pairs of it, probably. Um, and so that was actually a prompt for me. Like, I want to go talk to you guys and get, you know, we again, we know this Patagonia reputation. I know a little more, I think, about some of the things happening on the technical side, but here's a company messing with denim and figuring out a better way to do it. Um, that became pretty interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So when you go back, backing up for a sec, talking about those, the dye processes and the rest, that's something that you guys were looking at when it came to base layers first, perhaps? And then you were like, listen, turns out this might have some application to what we're doing with denim. You know, or did it start with the fact that you were manufacturing denim and from there looking at these processes, dyeing processes, the rest, what was the, what was the movement here? Um, yeah. So I get asked a couple of things that, you know, as you're going through that kind of list, like why, why denim? And then how did this come to be? So, um, and, and it was something that kind of, kind of started at the, at the tail end. Um, it wasn't something that was birthed on the technical side of the business. This was actually something that was birthed on this on the sportswear side of the business. Um, and we have a little bit of a model we like to talk about that the environment is our technical. So you know, a lot of times, um, you know, for us in the sportswear side of things, you know, we're a lot of um, the product that you wear in between all your fun hogging and, and your your um, and your core athlete use from extreme backcountry skiing to. Um, our climbers and so forth. Um, you know, it's you know, we're a lot of the tools you're going to wear in between. And as we made this initiative to really drive um, up our our enviro um, campaigns, whether it be through fabrics, um, dye, or textile innovations and so forth, this was just kind of one that. Um, you know, came across you know, pretty early in my days. I just walked in, in through the doors of the company, to be quite honest. And I was attending my very first OR. And, um, you know, Todd Copeland, who works in our Enviro group, said, oh, I have somebody I think you should meet that might be really interested. And he knew I was looking to kind of overhaul the bottoms business in general here at Patagonia. It was kind of one of the first initiatives I took on when I walked in the door. Um, and so it really started more, to be quite honest, as uh, we're going to overhaul the, the men's bottoms business here on the sportswear side of things. Um, and what, what would that look like and what would it entail? And that's essentially where this whole journey started. Um, as we as we kind of moved on then, this chance meeting with our Chroma at OR um, kind of turned into, a, whoa, this could be even bigger deal than we thought. Um, having spent quite a bit of time in factories and in mills and seeing dye houses and seeing um, how things can get washed and how much waste and water and energy can get used here, I had a pretty good frame of reference of of what the industry looks like on a whole on the disposable fashion side of things. And I really, really took it to heart and really wanted to try and do it a different way. Um, And not to get kind of corny or cheesy, but, you know, everything happens for a reason. I'm a firm believer in that. And so I don't find things to be chance that I just happen to get introduced 
to advance at that time. Um, I didn't know where it was going to go, to be really honest, um, but I thought the concept was extremely intriguing. So that's kind of where it started. Um, and denim seemed like a really natural place for us to start as well. We've been doing denim over 20 years. Um, the heritage of denim beyond just Patagonia, but just in general within um, sportswear, but go even f- further back. Um, it's workwear roots um, as second skin and protection for you know all the folks working in the fields and, and welders and things like that. That's really where the origins were, right? It actually had a technical use to it wasn't glamorous you know for us today as far as climbers and skiers and things like that but but even think about the climbing community who gravitated to it and even the origins even of early patagonia with the stand-up canvas all these things were rooted in in heavy durable fabric and workwear um so certainly for me then you know thinking of denim made a lot of sense for patagonia because it's a second skin that's why it was that's why it was invented um and certainly it's become a huge um you know fashion and cultural icon within modern day um and so you're saying well why why jeans yeah you're like when you said you guys were sitting around going well like why jeans and i'm like and you kind of answered the question i wanted to jump in on was well while you were pontificating why jeans all of you were sitting around pontificating in jeans right so i think i think that's another really big reason there's not a person that doesn't have at least one pair of jeans in their closet and so I think it transcends gender, it transcends age, it transcends cultures. Um, you know, it's, it's a kind of a global, ageless, culturalist, even though that's not really a word, phenomenon, right? And as we've been doing kind of this campaign on jeans, that's kind of what I've been talking about with everybody is everybody has at least one pair of jeans. Yep. Um, and so that's, that's why jeans. And then kind of on the technical side um, of things, um, why jeans? Because jeans also happens to be one of the most um, water-intensive, um, dye-intensive processes there is as far as um, apparel and clothing. Um, and so I felt like, God, if there's a way we could could do it better, um, in you know, as a, as someone living in California, water has become um, such an important uh, you know resource for us, and we're so conscious on how can we reduce that usage. Um, but beyond that, you know, how much how much energy are we using and how much actual water do I have to use to treat the water that I'm, you know, discarding after dying? And so I think all these things led to kind of a really natural, pardon the pun, um, way um, to produce denim here at Patagonia that really aligned philosophically with what we were trying to do across the board environmentally. Um, add on the fact that we got fair trade certification was just bonus. Um, you know, we didn't set out to say, hey, let's make fair trade jeans. I think we set out to, like, really work on the technology. But then in parallel to that, we've been really trying to ramp up the social responsibility side of things. And and so um, that kind of came into fruition late as the, the cherry on top of the Sunday program. So can we, would you mind if we started talking a little more about some particulars there? So, yeah. okay, fair trade. These jeans are fair trade certified. Yeah. means... So we pay a premium um, or um, essentially a percentage um, to, to get fair trade certifications within factories. 
um, that essentially that, that premium or that um, dollar amount goes to a fund um, that the workers of the factory get to vote on how they want to spend it. Um, for it could be anything from we live in a super rainy environment and we need rain jackets to go to work in. Um, they could choose to spend it like that. They could choose. There's a myriad of ways without getting um, too much, but there's a myriad of ways that the workers can choose to um, have that money allocated um, for their well-being. So um, essentially, you know, for us, it just seems like a no-brainer to pay that upcharge if the if the factory is up to going through the certification process. Um, and then we found that the partners we're using have been have been quite open to it. Sometimes it takes a little bit of um, education because they hear that and hear that there's auditors going to come in and, and that makes this can make people nervous at the very front end. But um, overall, the, the programs have been very well, um, very well received. And, and um, I would say in the last two seasons, I think we were sub 50 fair trade certified. Um, uh, styles or products within the organization and now we're north of 200 um, with north this, of 200 200 styles within the company that are now fair trade certified um, which is really exciting to do that in a span of what 24 months mm-hmm. um, 10 to 208 yeah 10 to 208 to be exact so so you guys are paying a premium to uh, and so these funds are set up that then allows the workers at a factory to, de- to determine what's the best use for these funds. Exactly. So then what's required of the factory? I mean, what, what, you know, to be eligible, I guess, for that program, um, what needs to be in place? So I don't know, the, like, I'm not as versed on exactly every single step, but essentially there's a, certifi- a certification process that they go through that is handled by our, we have a representatives here that are in charge of just solely um, going through fair trade setup and auditing and education and presentations done more on the production side of the, the business. Um, and they take them through a, a, a myriad of criteria that, that they need to qualify for. Um, and and the, the factories have to want to participate first and foremost, so there has yep. to be an interest level there. So once that that's kind of established, um, then then the process kind of ignites. And there's a whole range of requirements from working conditions to obviously these premiums yep. that we have to pay, and then each year that they're involved in the fair trade program, there's additional requirements. So you know, year one you meet these requirements, and that's kind of the entry to be able to be part of the fair trade program. And then by year three or four or five, you have to have met a whole other series of requirements um, to continue to participate. And we work with those factories to be able to do that. And they're not factories that belong specifically to Patagonia. So we've seen other companies come in and be able to make fair trade products in those factories without having to go through this whole process with them. Which is great. So it kind of helps start. And, you know, we're not just trying to influence on the enviro side, but also on the social side. And so essentially these these stages of fair trade allow us to elevate um, quality of life for the workers that are making the product that we're that we're doing, you know, that we're doing in those factories. And so can we say for a second on this fair trade front? That's fine. Go on. on this fair trade front, who is there's a governing body here? Whose standard is this? This isn't an, this isn't a Patagonia standard, is it? it? It's I don't I should know more about this than I do, but yeah, there are different um, governing bodies. The one that we use is Fair Trade USA. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. fair enough. Um, let's get back on the denim then. So there's this fair trade component. 
but then in terms of the the specific manufacturing progressions or differences compared to I don't know what we would want to say a, a standard pair of jeans right that manufacturing process one I don't have a good sense of how diverse the manufacturing processes are for for denim yeah but in terms of the the specifics of the moves you guys have made with Patagonia denim, what does that look like when we're so, talking about saving water, etc.? Yeah, I think I think what makes our jeans very different than um, I'd say ninety nine percent of the marketplace is, um, you know, we first we start off with organic cotton exclusively. Um, so when you think of you know less than two percent of the world's cotton is organic, so then how much of that is actually being used in jeans and denim? pretty small. We're not the only ones doing organic cotton jeans, but it's, it's a small market there. So starting with just the base fiber being organic cotton, it was a huge differentiator right off the bat. But then part two is the dyeing process for jeans, and that's really where the differentiation and really where the story um, takes a really big twist from kind of conventional. Um, and we were making jeans other than organic cotton. We were dyeing conventionally like anybody else. Um, and so what we really started with was baselining how much water and energy we were using to make jeans before we started to explore this technology. We didn't want to call out averages or industry standards or kind of use our chromas kind of marketing um, you know, positions on X percent savings here. We really wanted to kind of... Um, self-analyze and be, um, as usual, very transparent in the savings so that we could really, um, l- you know, explain to ourselves, but more importantly, explain out fa- outward facing to our consumers, hey, you know, we're being very self-critical about some of the product we're making here, and we're always trying to improve upon what we're doing here. Um, and so this is what, this is how much water and, and energy and dye we were using before. And with this new technology, through a lot of trial and error and um, a lot of analyses, here's how much we're saving. Um, and so within conventional, um, when you dye, because of the nature of you know, denim as a fabric, it requires a lot of dye baths um, to get the dye to adhere. Um, and to get that really nice dark tone on your jeans. That dark blue takes a lot of dips to get there. On an average, it can be anywhere between 10 and 15 vats um, to get it to that really nice, super dark denim that, that as a starting point. Then, <laughs> um, think about all the energy and water being used to go through that. That all has to get dumped and treated, if it's getting treated. Where is it getting dumped? Is it getting dumped responsibly? Um, again, energy to, to treat all of that stuff. Water to use to treat all that stuff. CO2 emissions used to do all those runs. Um, and then with a good chunk of, of companies, then they're then putting it in a wash um, and then washing the hell out of it to get it back down to lighter medium. Um, applying resins and in other finishes to get it a myriad of ranges of what you find out there on the marketplace. Um, and so when you think about all that going on and how bad that is, um, we were really like, okay, well, how can we how can we avoid all that? So this technology is really fantastic because you go from all of those baths to um, essentially two for us at Patagonia. Um, and so when you think you go from 10 to 14 to two, the amount of water, energy, and waste that's being um, that's being um, 
diminished there was was tremendous. Um, so that was that was really the exciting the exciting portion of the discovery, uh, and we were able to compare the way we were doing it in the past and speaking about how we weren't happy about it, and then here's how we're doing it in the future. Um, the technology, technology, and, and then we choose not to do any. Um, aggressive washing or finishes on it after we do a very small rinse just from a you know to make sure you don't have any kind of bleed through or things like that but otherwise we try and keep our jeans super pure dark and really want you to build your own journal and your own story about how you faded out your jeans and and you know it almost becomes a little bit of a diary of your fun hogging as we like to say so um, so that's kind of that's kind of where we landed on the technology. Then you throw in the fair trade certification, our quality standards, um, the fact that um, we're really pushing um, to repair and reuse, um, and even played around with some things around um, consumer responsibility. Once once you do have your jeans, don't wash them everywhere. You know, wash them every even if you wash them every third wear and do it in cold water and not warm water and hang dry versus using your dryer. There's all this stuff you can do on the, on the back end as a consumer um, to really make the whole thing much more environmentally friendly. Um, and certainly we did not set out to do this in any sort of preachy way. We didn't target any, any brands um, you know, at all as far as why we were doing it. We really just wanted to show that there was a different way about going about it. And if that aligned with you philosophically and it interests you, great. And if not, that's your choice as well. But at Patagonia, it really aligned. And I think what's great, you know, with, with denim and whole is, you know, when it started to really come along, um, and this is something that kind of as, as it reflected after we launched the campaign, you know, when denim really gained popularity um, kind of in the James Dean era, you know, um, and, and again, through the whole punk rock movement, um, you know, when people saw uh, guys and gals wearing jeans, they're just like, that guy's up to no good, he's trouble, he's disruptive to norm. I think we felt like, God, it really aligned well with what we were doing within the industry. We were being disruptive to the way normal textile dialing was happening. So there was just a neat kind of natural alignment there again that happened. And so that's what makes the whole project kind of full circle and really exciting. And it's also laying a standard for how we're looking to um, innovate on textile dyeing as we move forward. Um, there's versions 2.0 and 3.0 already kind of in the works for us um, as far as where we can take it beyond just jeans, um, other bottoms, tops, um, and kind of just really exploring all those types of things like bio dyeing and natural dyeing and kind of where we can take textile innovation. Um, so super focused beyond just um, natural or reclaimed fabrics. What specific or what specific products currently are you, say, personally most proud of in terms of what you've managed to achieve in terms of uh, on the manufacturing processes front? Um, other examples that you would want to point out? I mean, we just heard a, a good rundown of what's happening on denim and why. Yeah. Other examples where you think I mean, it's just got to be the case, right, that on, on certain products, it's like, yeah, you know, maybe we're doing some things and uh, a tweak here or there, but on these fronts, we're particularly proud of what we're doing. Um, what would you, what would be examples for you on that? Um, well, the denim has obviously been one of the most rewarding projects I've ever worked on, and, um, you know, to honest, when we, when we kind of launched, I, I had no idea it was going to kind of... You know, when you when you have a, a chance meeting at a trade show and you're you're in this kind of haze of trade show already to begin with, you know, you never know what you're you're gonna get. And so, 
um, to, to be sitting here two and a half years later from that intro to kind of see um, where it's gone and, and how tremendous um, the team here at Patagonia has been in getting this to market and then just the general reception in the marketplace to it, that's probably been one of the most rewarding projects um, career-wise that I've ever worked on for me personally. So it's been a very humbling and rewarding um, journey as far as that. Um, what this is opening up as far as what where we can apply this technology beyond just denim and uh, the other technologies we're working on right now, um, kind of in the natural dye and bio dye side of things, um, is extremely exciting. And those are, you know, forward season um, projects that um, you can look to see from us here in, in seasons to come. Beyond that, um, the Truth to Materials campaign we did um, last spring uh, was quite exciting where we kind of worked on undyed cashmere and kind of um, kind of the naturals campaign has been exciting. And so kind of all this kind of responsible essential campaigning that we're doing has, has been really exciting. We've got... Um, some wool that's on the market right now that we just launched and some sweaters this year that are all made from recycled wool. Um, and so kind of this recycled, reclaimed um, push for us has been a really exciting journey with um, with cottons made from um, from old denim, not our own, and that's something that I could even, I just, I got, what, if we could start getting our old Patagonia product and somehow um, landfill diverting that into product that we make again is like the real pie in the sky stuff that I'd, I'd love to be sitting here someday telling you how to figure out. It's That's pretty difficult supply chain-wise. But I think landfill diversion in general is something that we're, we're really amped on right now and how can we, um, you know, organic cotton is tremendous and, and, you know, but if I can avoid even having to grow cotton, organic or other, um, isn't that even like, better? And, like, you know, Yvonne will always preach to us, you know, only buy it when you need it. And, you know, we're all very much, like, aligned with that. But, if you you know, if, if I am going to make product, how can I reuse the stuff that's already out there, whether it's through repair, through more and more campaigns, but also through kind of recycling and, and upcycling and reclaiming. So we're working on a lot of neat stuff, um, whether it's uh, denim, Based cotton sweaters that we're you know be releasing or recycled wool, um, and we've got some other materials that we're working on right now that are pretty exciting. So I'd say that it, you know, without being too wordy, those are the those things we're pretty keyed on right now. Yeah, I'd love to ask about Yvonne's role in the you know we're getting a good sense talking to you. Um, your take on this is. We look at our product lines and we are looking at each piece and saying, you know, how do we, what can we do here? What can we do here on a social front, on a manufacturing front, etc.? So how involved is Yvonne on those, the current initiatives or directive today, as opposed to being like, yeah, guys, I set this up a while ago. If you're unclear about my intentions with this, then you're, you know, probably slow. Yeah. Um, so did he, is this a ball that he worked hard to get rolling? Is he still currently involved in these, uh, the current decisions, directives? Well, I'd say specific to, to denim or, or kind of what we're working on sports where he's not, you know, not kind of walking down here and saying, you know, hey, YC, you know, what do you think? Although if he stops, you know, he's here. And so if he stops by and he's, he's curious about what's going on or he wants to come talk to you, like that's what's great, he's here, you know. And, and for somebody like me, 
Um, it's super humbling and, and, and very exciting to be able to tap into to somebody like Yvonne and learn as much as I can. You know, I, essentially, you know, this team is the next generation uh, of his vision for what we're doing. So the fact that he's, he's you know, still very much part of, of the, you know, being here in the corporate offices and and you know available to talk to you and you know essentially any time is a really valuable resource um, and I think he just has always done a really good job I mean where there's no confusion about what our mission statement is so he doesn't have to you know be involved in the details every day because you know if we're if, you know I think we're all very much passionate um, and like-minded um, and really just wanting to be able you know like for me I just want to be able to look at him and everybody else in this company and, and say I can tick all three of those things off of our mission statement for every single product I make. Um, I feel like if I'm doing that, then you know we're, we're really fulfilling what we're, trying, what, we're, what we're trying to do. You know, Is it functional? Is it multifunctional? Is it the best product out there? Is it perfect 10? Um, is it causing the least amount of harm possible? Um, after that, and then how am, I, how am I using that venue to influence and you know, change the way we're making clothing and apparel? without sounding cheesy that's really that's legitimately you ask 10 other people in a row here I guarantee you you're going to get pretty much the same answer maybe people are a little bit more eloquent in their delivery but um, but but I think that's that's what makes um, that's what makes this this brand what it is and, and, and what, why it will continue to be can I ask on the let's talk on the technical side on the the, uh, sure. You gave a nice definition of jeans as technical. I like that. Um, but on the sort of you know bleeding edge of DWRs and, and you know, waterproof, breathable treatments and the rest, what are you personally seeing on that front? Where you're, what are you excited about on that front? Where do you look at and see like that's just a brick wall, and I don't know how we're going to run through that. Like, what can we possibly do better on that particular front? You know, when it comes to these you know, the technical pieces that, um, that are very expensive and, and, uh, when people are actually (laughs) using them for activities Mm -hmm. where it really matters, um, how waterproof that thing is, um, you know, the durability of these pieces, what are you looking at? What are you guys, the team, or you personally, what are you looking at on those fronts? Like, man, that's a massive challenge and I don't know how we're going to do it better or here's a real opportunity. I just think, you know, not want working specifically on the technical side of the business. Um, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I, I know a little bit about what, you know, what goes on over there because I have plenty of colleagues over there and I'm, I'm a nerd on product just by nature and a user. I'm, you know, I'm a big skier and, um, and so, and I'm a, a bike commuter. So, um, you know, like I'm always kind of wanting to get in and understand the technical side, especially because I need it for my key sport as well. Uh, but I would just say more, more from sportswear perspective or kind of more of a higher level answer to that is like, I just don't think there's any roadblock here for anybody in this company. Like if we run into a wall, it, the, the, um, the personality of the folks here that love to tinker with product, um, is just kind of like it's just like nothing I've ever seen in my life, and so if you run into something, it's just tinker, tinker, and tinker until you figure it out. And I think again, you know, Yvonne's a perfect example of that. Like he's, you know, my mind will never operate like you know. I just don't have that built into the way my mind works. But to kind of problem solve 
um, product failures or, or feature failures or things that we're looking for to kind of, can I make it lighter and more durable and more efficient, more packable and all those things. You know, we just have such a tremendously talented team here that just constantly breaking down those walls. It's, it's really inspiring. And then, so how do I kind of look to that innovation and how does that apply to sports or how do I elevate sportswear so that I can make it as, as, as multifunctional as possible with the understanding that I will reach a limit at some point with everyday sportswear that it's not going to take me into the back country. Um, you know, I'm not going to like shred in jeans in the back country, you know, like some random, yet. you know, yeah, yet. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, we did have a guy run a half marathon in him and in the rain and he seemed to be pretty stoked on him. So, um, so we're getting there baby steps, but, um, you know, I would, I would just say, you know, that there's the constant tinkering. There's, there's, I don't think there's, I think if you ask anybody here, there's, there's really no roadblock. Um, and one thing that's really cool is if we do run into something in terms of okay, like this material isn't environmentally friendly, that we have the backing of a company that will let us go to a you know, company like Arcroma and partner with them and or go to another company and you know, you'll start to see even in the coming seasons some partnerships that we have with materials brands where we say we like the material we make, we need it to be more environmentally friendly, let's develop that together. And so there are numerous cases along the way where we've, you know, developed recycled fleece using soda bottles or, you know, yeah. all along the way, okay, that doesn't exist, let's make it. Yeah, so the supplier partnership's been a huge one. Um, and, and we realize that supplier partnerships, and that's a great point to bring up, is um, you know, supplier partnerships are as much integral in kind of change, trying to change the industry as, you know, it's not just about what we're doing and the products we're making, but trying to get our suppliers to adapt the same value system Mm -hmm. um so working you know with you know like you know polar tech for a long time you know we we went to them and developed a fleece fabric with them that didn't exist um and so that's a perfect example that's very much in our in our heritage or our history to do that with suppliers and then not hoard it share it you know you know we want it we want we want that stuff to get out there it's that the world is a better place if if more people are using these these fabrics and technologies I want to talk quickly about this question of scale um, and thinking about, I think I'm starting to get a good sense of what your answer might look like on this, Um, but if there are, as you're evaluating a Patagonia product line or, or looking at moving into a new product, in thinking of these initiatives, you've got to do, it would seem to me, assessments about, okay, if we really try to, we think we could come up with, say, a cleaner manufacturing process on this product, but it's going to cost this much to do it, and and actually, if we did this other initiative on this other thing, there might be a greater, say, net effect or benefit, um, Like meaning there's always, it would seem to me, a lot of factors that would go in before a move is made and why you might pursue a certain initiative or a change in a manufacturing process here as opposed to here. And so it would seem to me that sometimes scale would be the area where, like say with denim, everybody's wearing denim. I don't know how much denim Patagonia is selling, but let's say if that is 10 times, if they're selling 10 times um, jeans as opposed to, you know, these particular shorts or something, you know, uh, nylon shorts. 
how then one evaluates that. Does that factor in about where we're going to make an, a move here? Um, you know, uh, inelegantly put, or, or to sum that up, where does scale factor in uh, to these decisions about what we're going to move forward with this coming year? Um, um, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're going to get onto your, put your project management hat on, it's always going to come down to resource scope and time, right? And so you, you have to look at that. Like, what are my initiatives that I'm going to key off this year? And it's not just beyond what I'm working on in sportswear, but like, what are we working on as as a brand? And where are we where are we going to put our resources um, for particular initiatives? And I think I think scale. You, you know, you always have to look at scale when you're going about it. But I think it, you know, in the bigger picture. What is it that that we're we're bringing to to market, um, and how viable is it um, beyond just Patagonia? And what what is it really going to you know? How is it going to impact um, the industry and the, and the globe? And I think when it comes down to that, um, you know, we you know candidly we weren't selling that much denim. It was a very small business, and we didn't set out to take over the denim industry. We weren't. You know, we didn't set out to, like, compete with Levi's or even try and, you know, and I call them out just because they are the best in class, you know. Um, we didn't set out to even remotely do anything like that. We just set out to show folks that there is a, a much more environmentally conscious way to produce jeans and dye jeans, and hopefully that's going to resonate with, with the consumer, um, or at least those that that's important in their decision tree. Um, at the very least, educate people that, you know, here's how things are being dyed and made, and here's how they can be. So, so um, you know, was it scalable? Yes. Were we already making jeans? Yes. Even if it was a small run, it, it was an easy, easily thing done. I think running into something that would be not scalable, I think then that's where, it can, okay, like how much impact are we actually going to be able to make here with this? Um, and I think that would just come down to a case-by-case basis. How passionate and impactful is this technology? And if we as a brand aren't going to, then, you know, are there are there partnerships or educations we can make beyond that with suppliers and such to kind of partner to make it a bigger story, um, to get it out there? Uh, I'd say most things that we're going to work on here at Patagonia are scalable, though. Um, just by nature, I guess I've yet to come come past something that's that hasn't been scalable yet. We've maybe failed at something and had to go back to the drawing board and delayed a launch or something. But I'd say there's nothing that we we don't feel like we can we can get out there and, and do. But we've been fortunate to have really good partners um, throughout the entire supply chain. So I think that's what makes it an entire success. And then if you look beyond that, a dealer base um, and customer base that's very um, very passionate about participating and partnering with us to get the message out. So I think that's what that's what makes everything great. You know, it, it's just funny the personal biases. Like, you know, I like yeah, I don't wash. I wash my jeans. I wear them fifteen times probably till like then I wash them. But just to think like that's not sexy. Like that's not a fucking high tech solution. <laughs> but guess what? Like it's a real one. Yeah. And it's, it's actually pretty interesting for me to think about. And I, I think I probably have been the, the Patagonia Recycle stuff. Me personally, okay, like whatever. And then to just hear how all of these things kind of work together and to factor in, it's really interesting. And, and hopefully that there's some other, you know, um, I don't know, shallow people like me that aren't, aren't as cued into thinking about that whole, the 
the the life cycle of a product and, and yeah and I, I don't think you know and that's why like you know I like explaining you think of my mother-in-law and you just use the word shallow and I know you're just kind of making, being emphasis but I think that's that's the part that I, I'm really passionate about making people sh- make sure they don't feel that you know I was explaining when I was doing this project like my, my mother-in-law was trying to understand what the big deal was and then when I explained it to her she like felt all guilty that she ever bought a pair of jeans in the first place and I'm like that's not what this is about this is about you know educating you that there are other avenues out there and even just understanding the overall how things are made because I think we've got a society that has become just all about convenience and ease and somewhere along the way we lost our perspective on every time you buy something and wear it and just throw it away it goes somewhere and then beyond that it you know it, it caught you use resources to produce something and so you know I grew up in the 70s where like I had like I got my clothes got patched you know, and there wasn't all this disposable income and disposable need to, like, disposability was not in our mindset, wasn't in our philosophy, right? It was about wear the shit out of it until you couldn't wear it anymore. Your mom would patch it up. Um, you know, you didn't waste food. You ate your leftovers. Like, you didn't throw water. You know, like, it just, it was, you know, it was, it was a different time. And I'm not saying let's go back there. But I think there needs to be a return or a reminder of we used to live a little bit more responsibly. And I think that's all we're, you know, we're trying to do is like, hey, stop. Like, all this shit going on in the world right now and all of us in our phones, like, we don't talk to each other anymore. Like, there's there's a bigger picture here and the, the globe is starting to suffer for it. We're actually changing the geological landscape of the globe with our consumption manners. And, you know, it, it's just a really interesting time for us. And I think, you know, it's sure get off the pot time, right? And we can talk all we want about it. Pardon the vulgarity of that, but I don't. I can't come up with a better analogy yeah, or expression, I, I should say. And I think it's not about making people feel guilty or, or feel bad about the way they're living their lives. It's just, hey, you know what? This is what it takes to make a pair of jeans. Yeah. If the, if that matters to you and you actually yeah. care or you want to do something about it, here's a really easy way to do something about it. And it can just come down to like wearing, washing every other week. You know, and you know, granted, yes. Like if you can, you can spot wash, or if you really got something dirty, then wash it. I'm not asking you to walk around stinky, but you know, like if if you don't need to wash your jeans every week, don't do it because you don't need to waste the water and do it in cold. Don't heat the water so you save the energy. And it's just neat ways to show people how to to use and care for product and what goes into making them and the people that are making them. And if we're going to be kind of a, a sustainable ecosystem. You know, kind of like the butcher and the, the milk guy and the carpenter guy and the welder all used to rely on each other in a small community to live. Then it's kind of the same, right? We rely on each other for good goods and services so, without getting too philosophical. Oh, it's good. Cool. Really good. Cool. Very interesting. And um, Mark, good to talk with you today. Same, and and Tessa, uh, it was good to have you sneak in and join us too. Um, thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, well, thanks, guys. Good to talk. For this edition of the Blister Podcast, thanks to Mark Little and Tessa Byers for the conversation, to our audio engineer, Justin Bob, and to Alaska Airlines for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to go to alaskaair.com forward slash ski to check out all of their current deals. 
Until next time, head over to blisterreview.com to see what we're up to there. Subscribe to the Blister Podcast in iTunes, and we'll catch you next Thursday on the Blister Podcast. <laughs>